Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Hey, they won seven in a row. Yeah, dude, they're in Fuego, and so is the Bleachers. They're open. I am Jeff Blum, and I am gassed. So who knows what's <laughs> going to happen in this session in the Bleachers. Uh, it's been a lot of drama in Astroland and uh, uh, a lot going on, but uh, some sleepless nights, uh, especially if you're an Astro fan. But uh, it's good to have David Tuttle, my co-host on the Bleachers. And we are also happy to have Podcorn again. As a sponsor on the Bleacher Blums podcast, we are great fans of them because when we first started this podcast, and for all of those who listen to our podcast and want to start or are doing their own podcast, you have got to go to podcorn.com and scroll through their sponsorships. Uh, It's great because a lot of these sponsors and people who want to give you their money to promote their product go on to Podcorn list their services and what you can do for them. And you just start scrolling through, you send them, uh, you send them a message and say, Hey, I'd love to have your uh, ad on our pot on our podcast. And uh, it's as easy as that. You start to correspond with uh, the, the right people and you get the ad on your, on your podcast and you get paid for it. So it's good for everybody. Tuttle. You know what I was going to say about it to me, it reminds me of, um, I mean, I've been off the dating market for a long time, but it's kind of like a version of, <laughs> from our experience, like speed dating, which is really great. It connects like sponsors with certain podcasts. And I think when we first started, we said, Hey, this is how many downloads we have. This is the, you know, framework and and the uh, market that we're going to tap into with our podcast and certain uh, advertisers reach out to us. You know, it was kind of like matching Mm -hmm. and some have worked out and some haven't worked out and some are still interested and some aren't interested, but it it is, it's, it's a form of dating, but it's a really great way. Like you said, aside from, experience and getting the podcast rolling um it's a really great way to kind of learn how to do reads and spots and and you know like you said marry yourself with good products and hopefully um through this i mean obviously we've met some good sponsors but we have some long-term relationships it's funny that our longest term relationship is with podcorn (laughs) e-o-d-c-o-r-n.com so anyway it's pretty cool it's very cool, and we appreciate them uh, being on there. And you heard Tuttle go to podcorn.com, P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com. We appreciate them sponsoring this episode of the Bleacher Blums podcast. And, of course, we are also sponsored by St. Arnold, who brings you what's on tap. Uh, Masters Week is over. Uh, something historic happened in San Diego, amazingly enough, with the last sports team, a major sports team on the planet in San Diego. And the Astros have uh, hit a wall and maybe a little bit of a COVID crisis. We'll get into that a little bit. But uh, Tuttle, man, how has your week been? It's uh, been another amazing week in baseball and in sports, but uh, we just care how you're doing, dude. Yeah, I appreciate that, Blummer. Uh, Obviously, we caught up right before this podcast, and I think I'm doing a little better than you are. But, uh, (laughs) you know. You know, you could hear it in your voice, <clears throat> you know, a little scratchy yeah, voice, that a couple late voice. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, going, going well out here. Um, like I said, California is supposed to open up June 15th. We'll have to see how, what that means for everybody. Yeah. We're a little behind the times. The kids go to school full-time next week, which is money for uh, any parent out there, you know, just especially a working parent, like just give yeah. me three hours at home with, you know, peace and quiet to get some stuff done. And that to-do list will shrink. So 
but uh, yeah, uh, things are going well. I mean, things at the Tuttle household are going much better than they are in the, in the Houston Astros locker room. Um, and, you know, you mentioned my Giants earlier, you know, the Giants are looking pretty good. I love the uh, National League West in the sense that it's always the Dodger, like, you know, they've won seven in a row. And then it's a, it's a grab bag. It's always the Rockies, the Padres or the Giants, and everybody kind of talks about them um, in different ways. But, uh, you know, it's early in the season. So uh, oh, I may yeah. be optimistic about the Giants and you may be depressed about the Astros, but you know very well <laughs> that uh, in two weeks, this conversation could change. Very similar to last week, we were saying how uh, spring training is not very important to the Astros and look, they start out five and one and they look pretty damn good. And then all of a sudden now it's like, can anybody throw a strike? Is their bullpen going to make it through 160 games? It's like, Oh my gosh, what happened? They're off the rails. So anyway, it's, yeah. uh, you know, leave it to Tuttle to bring the old, like, you know, we got a long season, long way to go people. Let's keep the heart rate low and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, plow. Plot, plot yeah, on. but I, I feel like that's more of the baseball mentality too, because you you know it's don't let the peaks get too high, don't let the valleys get too low, because yeah. once you start doing this, all of a sudden you're going to be mentally exhausted by the end of the season, and uh, you're yeah. going to have to uh, deal with that. But you try and just kind of you know ease the slumps, ease the peaks, and just find that middle road that Tuttle's talking about. And if we if we want to get into what the Astros are doing right now, it you know yesterday which was uh, uh, April 14th. And, 14th, today's uh, tax day. Happy tax day, by the way. Sorry about that. Yeah, happy tax day. And I think it didn't get bumped like two or three months because of this COVID crap anyways. You know, If there's a silver lining, baby, we can find it. It's the fact yeah. that tax day got bumped. It got bumped last year, <laughs> so maybe they just bumped it again. It's like, yeah, we don't have to pay yeah. our taxes. But yeah. we're making a third of the money. Well, wait a second. Oh, yeah. okay. So that means the state's getting a third of their money too, especially that's going to be interesting in California. But that being said, you know, it is Jackie Robinson day actually. And I'm just thoroughly annoyed that the Astros are not playing on Jackie Robinson day, you know, a pretty historic day. And considering the times that we're in right now, it would be great if major league baseball could actually function and get everybody playing on the same day to honor a great hero who broke the color barrier in major league baseball and watch everybody run around with the number 42 instead of celebrating a day late like the Astros will on uh, April 16th, a Friday. But I just think it's it's a wasted opportunity. Gosh, an easy logistical thing to figure out. Like we have Mm -hmm. a hard time with club soccer, you know, figuring out like, hey, two teams from Orange County are now going to go down to San Diego and play. And it's like, don't they just put a spreadsheet up? But I think, like you said, if you just blacked out Jackie Robinson Day, you know, and just marked it on the calendar, said everybody plays on that day, no days off allowed. Like that's a real Mandatory. simple thing to do. You just push your day off to Friday, but is it because Friday is a night where you don't want to have revenue like out of the ballpark or something like that? I mean, you can on, sacrifice people. one Friday to honor this guy. I mean, if you want to, well, if you want to move that day off. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I mean, I'm sure there that that usually enters into it, right? Like the Friday night oh. at the ballpark is a bigger night. Yeah. So anyway, but what, yeah, what, did, what did Randy Moss? Working. What did Randy Moss say back in the day? Cash money, homie. Cash money, homie. <laughs> That's right. Uh, So it is kind of disappointing, but uh, the Astros will celebrate on April 16th and uh, they could use the day off though. It's actually uh, behooves them to kind of enjoy the day off because they've got a lot of moving parts right now. They've got five guys in on the injured list because of the COVID protocol situation. And now I really wish on this podcast. And obviously I get a little more information and then Tuttle does because I'm working for a major league baseball team, but 
I can tell you right now that the major league protocol, COVID protocol system and, and safety protocols they have are a very fluid situation. And I think they move from week to week. And a lot of it depends on vaccines. A lot of it, you know, depends on exposures and what, you know, if these guys are in a hotel, if they're at home. So there's a lot going on in that sense, but somebody on that COVID protocol may have popped a positive test. And I don't mean that in the steroid sense. I mean that in the coronavirus sense that uh, they popped a positive and therefore they went to contact tracing and eliminated five guys from the roster. And that creates logistical issues in its own right, because they had to bring, you know, five guys from the alternate site to play a major league baseball game last night. They lost their fifth in a row, but the interesting thing, the thing that comes out in this, and Dusty Baker, amazingly enough, I don't know what HIPAA laws are, but he said in an interview uh, after the game on Wednesday night that all of the guys who are on the injured list in the safety and COVID protocol actually had the first round of the vaccine and haven't gotten the second one. So it's kind of interesting to me, and my mind just kind of goes to speculation, which I can do on the podcast, which I ne can't necessarily do on a broadcast, is wait a minute, all of these guys got the, the vaccine shot first and then somebody tested positive. I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, that's got to be a false positive, right? Yeah, I would think so. I'm not great with the science. We've talked about the vaccines. The way vaccines typically work are that they give you a little dose of the, of the, um, uh, the, yeah. uh, the, the, what are we talking about? The um, pandemic, the virus. right? The virus. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Bad bird. Um, they give you a little dose of the virus and your body builds immunities, but the uh, vaccines mm -hmm. that they've built here are an mRNA, which is basically like a messenger, which actually makes more sense if they tested positive. So basically your body has to build the antibodies, you know, to fight this. And so, you know, again, I'm so grateful for you when very... you speak like this, you're good. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, you, you're very, uh, I think you're spot on. Now the HIPAA thing's hold different. I mean, great. Some lawyer's going to get a hold of that and go, Hey, we can sue because <laughs> Dusty Baker said like, I mean, this whole thing's been crazy and you brought up a point and I, I, I don't necessarily want to steal your thunder, but I don't want to let it go away. Um, when we were Bring just it. prepping for this. Yeah. Is that, you know, Martin Maldonado is hanging out with the pitchers very closely oh. since the beginning of spring training, right? So, you know, I, I know they don't hug and kiss, but, you know, they have to know what they want to throw in what situations, and he'll go out and, you know, put his arm around the pitcher and say, hey, this is what's going mm -hmm. on. So if he's contact tracing and, you know, like, doesn't that just put the whole pitching staff in jeopardy, right? So <laughs> I, I, you know, I, like you said, it's a very fluid situation, which is a politically correct way of saying, I don't know if everybody knows what they're doing. And, you know, I told you <laughs> we had a, we had a couple of mailbag questions uh, a few months back where they wanted to volunteer to be the mask police. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, who do they get to do this? Right. It kind of reminds us of uh, the, you know, the transportation uh, authority TSA at the airport. It's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. Do you know what a knife and a gun look like when it goes through that x-ray machine? And why are you <laughs> harassing me? Cause the thing beeped and, I don't know. I mean, what kind of expertise do they have above and beyond what we all are kind of dealing with? And, and you know, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a good time for the Astros to lose five key players and maybe it's only three key players. I saw there was some contact tracing with guys that weren't maybe, uh, yeah. but Alvarez, Bregman and Maldonado uh, during a five game losing streak. Uh, I don't know. The losing streak may continue. So 
Yeah, it's going to be a rough stretch. I think Alex Bregman was hurting anyway, so the time on the injury list may actually do him some benefits to get his legs back under him. But uh, losing Jordan Alvarez, losing uh, what looks like your number one catcher, even though Maldonado's off to a rough start offensively, he means a lot. And I, I agree with you in the sense that Maldonado's probably one of the more interesting guys because he's not just a position player. He always also has to work with the pitchers. And we saw, we actually had video of him, and plenty of fans saw him sitting in the dugout for – you know, what seemed like a good hour uh, talking to Zach Greinke. So, you know, how does that affect? And not to mention that uh, this is going to make you laugh. Not to mention that catchers and pitchers are touching each other's balls during the entire game. That's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> that was like my uh, Tiger Woods driving joke last podcast, right? Like, you know. Yeah, that's why you tune in to get those dad jokes. <laughs> that's right. No, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I remember, I mean, I probably should have, you know, might have been more successful in my career. Probably should have spent a little more time with my catchers, but we would have, you know, you have little meetings between most innings. I mean, I guess mm -hmm. unless the inning went fairly well, right? And then people just stay away from you like, hey, seven pitch innings. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't need to talk about that one. Um, but yeah, you know, what you're going to throw in situations, what's your go-to pitch that day, what seems to be working for you. And that's just in game. So before the game, like what's the strategy, go through the other team's lineup. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? I mean, all of that stuff with each pitcher from a guy who, like you said, is now on the, uh, the COVID protocol. And then again, with AYSO here, when it first started, that was the thing. Everybody had to bring their own soccer ball. So as they, as oh, you wow. said, as they touch their other other guys balls it's kind of like you know it just keeps circulating back and forth like what is the protocol and i think a fluid situation is probably a polite way of saying you know we we don't have a big handle on what the right thing to do is here. and then in football right the covid protocol like you know you're throwing mm -hmm. the football around too so i oh man I flip a coin yeah it is, it is flip a coin and you know the vaccines are great but you can't force everybody to do that that's a whole nother logistical legal nightmare in itself because you know uh Andrelton Simmons up in Minnesota you know said I don't want the vaccine and again if you want to go back to all the data points a, a, you know a, a 25 to 35 year old extremely healthy professional athlete is probably saying ah, I can beat this thing on my own and get the antibodies that way so that they don't want to inject themselves. So, I mean, but that's a whole nother can of worms and personal opinion. And it's amazing how politics has absolutely infected everything in life and just made it that much worse and polarizing. But, you know, there, there's certain things that hopefully we do get to the point where either 80, I think it's 85%, if there's 85% uh, vaccination or herd immunity on these teams, then they can do what they want and get through this thing relatively unscathed. But considering where the Astros are at right now, knowing that those five guys on protocol uh, injured list have gotten the first the first vaccine shot, I'm hoping that they start to test them a little more frequently and some of them come back negative and they realize it was just a part of the vaccination and they can come back a little bit sooner. That's what I actually hope Major League Baseball can do. It was talking about the fluid situation like Tuttle is right now is that they can say, okay, Maybe it's a false positive. Let's continue to test these guys. And if it comes back negative, you know, relatively quickly and consistently, we can, you know, get them off the injured list and get them playing again. I think that would actually set a very good example for other teams around the league and in other sports also who may go through a similar situation. Yeah. God forbid we uh, find a way to, you know, make this a positive thing and then enhance the right. protocol, which is a fluid situation. Like, hey, we can learn from this. Uh, that would be a great mm -hmm. thing. 
Hey, let me uh, let me change gears. Um, I want to get to the masters after, but we did have some mailbag questions, and I thought they were all right. Uh, kind People of, writing yeah. in. That's right. Apropos, but also, uh, you know, maybe change the tone of what people are thinking about the Astros right now. So um, this one's kind of fun and then we'll get a little more serious, but it says, uh, Blummer, this is specifically for you because they're not saying, but you rock that orange jacket. I got a few questions. <laughs> Who got it for you since you completely avoided plugging that on the broadcast? Who made it in case we with the bleacher blums want one unless it is a one of one? Mm -hmm um why has there been no mention of the passing oh, okay so that let's answer that question first there's a yeah 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 so the orange jacket uh i'm not sure which golf tournament you would win that in but i did not yeah. win that tournament <laughs> so the, the orange jacket is kind of uh you know it 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 the that orange jacket actually made its first appearance in the 2017 world series on a friend of mine him and his buddies got these jackets made and, uh, you know, the H-Town strong patches on the uh, left chest on the pocket uh, that was worn on the jersey in 2017. And then it, I, you could, uh, there, I think I pulled it open and on the inside yeah. pocket, there's actually a 2017 World Series patch on the inside. So it is, a, it is a custom jacket in the sense that two patches were added to it. But I think it's shinesty.com, S-H-I-N-E-S-T-Y.com. And it's just, just type in orange blazer and it pops up that, you know, they are limited in sizes, but that's where it came from. But I, I recognized a buddy of mine had it on at the game and I'm like, good Lord. I go, if I go, would, you know, do you dare me to wear that thing on, on the broadcast? And he goes, you have to wear it. And I said, all right, let's go. And I just so happened, I, I found an opportunity in 2021 to whip that thing out and wear it in studio, basically because I'm bored with uh, wearing a suit every day. So why not spice it up a little bit with the bright orange and uh, stick out like a sore thumb like I did. Nice, but you did customize it by adding those cool patches that most of us don't have access to a world champions patch and a, and a huge yeah, it, strong Yeah, and patch. my buddy's name, I don't know if my buddy's gonna be upset about this. Uh, I think he's got some coworkers that listen to this podcast, but his name is Michael Suttle. And uh, it's his jacket. It, and the funny thing is, is it doesn't fit exactly all that well. I look like Tommy Boy in that thing. I wanted to be like, you know, fat guy in a little, you know, but uh, I managed to get through a broadcast with it. Nice. I have a Shinesty suit. It's a Christmas suit. So when you get on Shinesty, yes. you'll see it's funny because they do Easter stuff, <laughs> but I have a whole Santa Claus one. And you're right, because typically now, <clears throat> you know, as you move into the realm, like you are a broadcaster, but you know, you're 42 long or 44 long or 44 regular or whatever, but these are like small, medium, large and extra large. So like you said, <laughs> to get the right sizes at Shinesty.com is not always so easy. Um, you know, it's yeah. not a custom fit, but uh, I do have a, I think I have a Santa suit and maybe I'll wear that on a Christmas uh, Bleacher Blums podcast. There you go. All right. This guy had a bunch of questions, which I didn't realize before, Grant. Um, why is there, and I think I saw this, uh, you posted on Twitter, maybe there was an honor, but it says, why has there been no mention of the passing of one of the most recognizable Astro fans, the man with the mustache and hat, unless I have missed it. But I believe there was some sort of mention, wasn't there? Yeah, we mentioned him on uh, the opening. Actually, the, I think it was the home opener. We actually mentioned it. And uh, I cannot remember the fan's name, but he's obviously yeah. highly recognizable because a lot of the, you know, the shots in the past that we would get in fans and standing out in the Hall of Fame uh, walkway out there next to the gas pump in Minute Maid Park. Uh, you know, the big hat posse, there was a guy on that uh, whole group that passed away. 
And then the guy with the mustache is probably the most recognizable of both locally and nationally because he's he's shown up on a lot of postseason uh, broadcasts, yeah. being you know a super fan in that sense. But uh, we actually uh, mentioned him early in the broadcast. And then he actually got like, you know, they recognized him with so many people passing away in the last year that uh, Minute Maid Park on El Grande, their big board, they actually yeah. went through a list of, uh, uh, you know, team employees, ex-players and, and fans who had passed away in the last year. So they honored him in that sense. But, you know, it's kind of tricky. And this is just a little behind the scenes in the broadcast. Yeah. It's a little tricky for us to recognize people because we want to treat everybody equally. You know, we understand that uh, some fans are more noticeable than others, but the second you open Pandora's box and recognize somebody, somebody down the line is going to go, well, why didn't you recognize so-and-so? So we try and not avoid it, but we try not to glorify it because we, we know that eventually we'll miss out on somebody and we just don't want to, to get in a situation where we offend or disappoint somebody's. But uh, we, we, we mentioned it uh, quickly on a broadcast on, on the home opener. And I'm terrible on social media, as most of the people that listen to this podcast know, especially Twitter, a <laughs> little better at following Instagram, which, you know, we don't do a lot on there. But uh, I did see somebody posted the picture of that guy on the big board, El Grande, mm -hmm. which I didn't know it was called, but uh, <clears throat> they showed him at the end of the uh, the tribute, for lack of a better word. And, uh, and that's cool. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think the behind the scenes blummer is probably the most important there. Look, you know, if the fans all pay the same amount for their tickets or they're there, you know, mm -hmm. recognizing one over the other doesn't necessarily seem to, you know, to work. We're all Astros fans. I speak third person, first person. I'm, you know, they're all Astros mm -hmm. fans and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, they're there to root their team on. And so, like you said, because you have a big mustache or something like that doesn't necessarily mean you're more important than the guy next to you. Um, Let's see. Thanks for the podcast. Keep them coming. Oh yeah. One more question. Yeah. So this is just a late, uh, late comer. Cause he was asking about his weird word Wednesday coming back and you said last night you did it. So there you go. Oh yeah. Frappading was the uh, word last night, uh, which basically yeah. to, in my mind, the way I read the definition meant batshit crazy. And I think yeah. I kind of explained it as uh, trying to be an Astro fan has made me frappading man. Uh, ah, with the highs and lows. Crazy. <laughs> there you go. So I'm going to do one more uh, mailbag. We can save one for next time. And then I, I did want to ask about uh, AJ Hinch's return to town. And then we go to the Masters. How about that? Oh, yeah. So um, yeah. this is a quick one. Blummer Tuttle, longtime Astros fan and fan of the podcast since day one. Love when I hear that. Because day one was a little rough for me, especially not a TV. Yeah, radio tried guy. and true right there. <laughs> I quote, I quote, yeah, you really toughed it through those first 10. Um, <laughs> I quote you guys no less than once a week, something, something per the Bleacher Blums podcast. I've heard that from a few people, by the way, they like our uh, takes on things. I'm writing today to see if you can explain the minor league affiliations in more detail, specifically with the change of the AAA team to the Skeeters. Do our prospects move from the Express to the Skeeters? What happens to the guys that were playing for the Skeeters? Any or all insight uh, would be much appreciated. It sounds like uh, this was Amy. It sounds like she just needs kind of a refresher course on how you know, the minor league affiliations yeah. work in the first place. And then what does happen when, you know, they get uh, assigned to another well, team. Like yeah. That. It's definitely changed a little bit. And why don't, why don't you explain how it, you know, when we, when we back right, in yeah. our day, you know, when we were playing, why don't you explain a little bit the process and the different levels of a major league organization when you and I were drafted? Well, yeah, yeah. So they had a bunch of teams, right? And this is where they have mm -hmm. pared down. So they had like short season rookie ball, um, rookie ball. They had extended spring training for the real young guys. Typically, um, you know, the Latin players or the high school players that were 16, 17, 18 getting drafted and wanting mm -hmm. to come out and they would just keep them kind of at the, 
the spring training site like West Palm Beach or, or uh, you know, uh, Arizona. But uh, basically they had low A, rookie ball, high A, double A, triple A. And the, um, the, uh, the minor league organizations or the major league organization would sign contracts with these cities and towns and stadiums and things like that. And that's kind of how that works. It, that still works the same way. But when we talk about the pandemic and that they were talking about paring down the minor leagues in the first place, um, they got rid of kind of rookie ball, extended spring training. Mm-hmm. I mean, not getting rid of it because now they have the taxi squad or the, you know, the, the offsite guys yep. too. So, I mean, they do have kind of a version of extended spring training guys, but those are typically guys that are waiting to taxi squad getting called to the big leagues. But now they just have a ball, double A, triple A, and then the major league team. And then the way the Skeeters and the, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way the Skeeters and the Express work is that basically the Astros just signed an agreement with the Skeeters versus mm-hmm. the Express. And now all the guys that were on the Express last year would essentially be Skeeters. Of course, that has to do with free agency and cutting guys and certain guys get released. So <laughs> you might look at those rosters over the course of a couple of years ago. Oh, it's a whole new team. Well, that has nothing to do with the affiliation that has more yeah. to do with what the Astros are doing to who they want ready to go to the big league. So I don't know if that's a clear enough explanation. No, I think that's, a, I think it's a great explanation because that's how it began. And then COVID hit and there wasn't a minor league season last year, there was a limited draft. So I think that, you know, major league teams saw an opportunity to maybe trim the fat a little bit and eliminate some of those teams that they felt were excessive but, uh, you know, it, eliminate, it eliminates opportunities to find that diamond in the rough. We've talked about the, that in the past on our podcast, how, you know, there's certain guys that just, you know, grow up a little bit later or bloom a little bit later and, and become stars, you know, later on. Now they're going to have to figure out a different avenue, maybe through independent teams and whatnot. But with, with them paring down and, and eliminating some of those teams, it has made everything a little more streamlined. And I think you're seeing major league teams, you know, create an affiliation with a team that's much closer because they're going to need those guys a little bit quicker or make it a little more convenient for the team to get them called up. But it's also really convenient for guys to, you know, sign a, a lease on a, on an apartment and play for Sugarland and then just drive 30 minutes away and get to Houston. So it's kind of nice in that sense. And most organizations do sign a developmental agreement with the city and the ballpark to have their team play there because you've got to think about it in the sense that, you know, the, the players are underneath the umbrella of the major league organization. They are, if they are signed by the Houston Astros. Therefore they move wherever the Astros want them to go. And the Astros actually found a unique opportunity. And I think they bought the uh, Sugarland Skeeters. I'd need to investigate that a little bit more, but they actually bought the Sugarland Skeeters site to put them there. So it's owned by the Astros, ah. which obviously gives them a little bit more control. They can update the facility a little bit better and make it a little more conducive to what they're trying to do. But that's that's basically you know the the long answer to what to what's going on. Yeah, hopefully that makes sense to Amy. And I, I will say one last thing, which is funny because most of your relationships when you're playing minor league ball, I, I can attest to are geographically undesirable. But uh, this looks like a, a, a relationship that's geographically yeah. desirable. And that's really the key piece, like you Great said, point. being able to have an apartment in Sugarland and play for the Skeeters. And then, hey, I got my call up to the big leagues and then be able just to get to Houston, uh, especially as we, you know, hopefully get out of the pandemic. But that that geographic region is important to having those guys there because I, you know, I remember 
I don't know, getting, you know, being in Chattanooga. And if you get called up to the big leagues from Chattanooga, <laughs> Tennessee, it's like, all right, you don't get any sleep and you drive or you fly, you know, to the city that the team's playing in, which, you know, I guess could still happen, right? If the Astros are on the West coast swing, they want to get guys out there, but it's, it's nice to get them out um, as quick and uh, seamless as possible. So I, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, it's geographically desirable, geographically desirable, and it streamlines the process because GMs and scouts and all those folks can focus on a, a tighter group of people. But it does make me think because uh, Julian Edelman retired two days ago, it makes it really hard. And I know we're crossing sports here, but it makes it really hard for the Julian Edel Edelmans of the world to become Super Bowl MVPs, right? Because those guys, you know, seventh round pick yep. as a quarterback at Kent State. All right, we'll bring them in here. And, you know, I mean, that, those are the guys that scouts and people, you know, will have a few more Sid Finches and Julian Edelmans come along if people are keeping their mm -hmm. eyes peeled. But it does keep the, uh, the organization, like trim the fat, like you said, it just keeps it a little tighter circle. So, yep. Uh, that's all I got for the mailbag today. Um, Blummer, Good stuff. So let's thank jump you. To thank it. you to everybody who's written in too, by the way, feel free to continue to do that. And uh, there's going to be some light days where we need the extra input. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, maybe even today. Uh, hey, so masters, ma masters recap. Uh, I'd, I'd love to mm. uh, have you kick it off. I mean, I think we were, you know, we had John on last week and we kind of dabbled. We were close on some and way off on others. And, uh, it was really interesting. I think John's biggest insight was look at the people that have played here before, because that's mm -hmm. who, um, that's who kind of um, rose to the top, uh, which, you know, pun oh. intended, right? Justin Rose, yeah. how about that? Hey. But you had, you know, Rose, who's an experienced player, uh, Matsuyama, who actually won it, which, you know, kind of an unheralded player, but certainly has played the Masters enough and, and won the amateur back in 11, I believe, 2011, the low amateur. Yep the low amateur so a lot of good stuff there i will say i'm going to steal this shamelessly what i thought um was fantastic i heard scott van pelt say this week that um you know when tiger won it back in is it 2019 he read the leaderboard and the leaderboard was like you know on the last day on sunday within three strokes of the lead it was like rory and jason day and mickelson was in the mix and woods was there and you know you're like you know Matsuyama was kind of like four strokes up and it was like, you know, you had the Zalatoris kid, but he was just saying that the pressure too, like, you know, it just wasn't a pressure packed kind of final Sunday. And I thought, you know, it doesn't diminish what Matsuyama did, but it's really interesting to think, yeah, when Tiger won it, like not only was that special and fantastic because, you know, he's coming back from uh, the dead essentially. Uh, but boy, I mean, the guys that were around him and the guys putting pressure on him were, legitimate uh you know contenders mm -hmm. so i don't know what your thoughts are about that and what were, what's your takeaway from the masters yeah i think it's amazing and you got to remember too the masters has a limited they limit who's allowed to play in this tournament so they they <laughs> they are they are arrogant in the in every sense of the word and even to the point where they want the best of the best they want the masters of their craft showing up and playing in the masters to create you know, the master of that tournament, and it happened to be Hideki Matsuyama, but you're right, it's an A-list when you look up at the uh, scoreboard, and you start to see who's creeping up and who's falling down, but they're all guys that you've heard of and who have tournament history in wins and being hyper-competitive, and I went out on a limb and picked Xander Shoffley, and I'm going, man, this guy, he's creeping a little bit, he's just kind of staying there a little bit, and then he got to 16, and that shot went in the water, and it just went poof, 
it was gone. And I'm sure those last three holes for Hideki Matsuyama, like you're saying, were a little more uh, of, of an enjoyable walk on the course for him as he went up that 18th green and knowing that he was going to take home the green jacket. First Japanese-born male to win at the at the Masters. And I think, you know, it's it's amazing how sport opens itself up to diversity in some key situations. And, you know, with everything going on with the Asian community, I thought it was really cool to see Matsuyama step up there, win that uh, green jacket here on uh, U.S. soil, and maybe give a little bit of pride back to uh, Japan. But uh, in him winning it and hearing some of the interviews that he was giving afterwards, I don't know if you caught any of this, but they asked him, they said, you know, you're the first Japanese born uh, golfer to win the uh, Masters tournament. You know, who, who is your inspiration? Where did you draw your inspiration as a child to become a better athlete, a better competitor? And immediately, you know, he's, he's, he's like you Darvish and starts rattling off a bunch of baseball players. And I was like, dude, that is so awesome because baseball is su has such an impactful sport okay. for, for young Japanese uh, kids that, you know, it even though he's have, playing he golf. He's, Ichiro too, right? You Darvish, Ichiro, yeah, like Suzuki. It's so and, great. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought that was fascinating and really gave you an eye into the culture of sports in Japan that baseball really has a huge impact on all athletes out there. But congratulations to uh, Matsuyama. And how did you yeah. feel about him winning it? Did you like the tournament? I like the tournament. And it's funny, like I, I, I wasn't trying to be Mr. Negative because, you know, I, I was stealing from Van Pelt, but Van Pelt was talking about just, you know, how there was a lot more uh, interest around it. But I think it's funny because when I was little, my grandmother was a big golf watcher. And, you know, I, if I was visiting grandma, she'd have golf on the TV and I could not sit still, man. I had to be out like running around like golf is so boring. I find myself <laughs> as an adult man, Sundays on a golf tournament, it doesn't always have to be the masters, but man, it is riveting must watch television. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that was like a prize fight or a, a super bowl where, um, where uh, Matsuyama hits the ball in the water on 15, like over the green on the par five there I and know, rolls in right and you're like, oh my God, like, what did he do? And yeah. the next hole, Shoffley comes up and whacks it in the water and you're like, oh, you know, there's the counter punch. And it's kind of like, it was exactly. just, it didn't, you know, it wasn't that close, but it certainly felt like, boy, that was just, you know, just you're like, here it is. You know, here's that moment. Forth. Yeah. Yeah, here's the moment. And I loved, by the way, we got to touch on this because you did pick Shoffley. I mean, I had Spieth in the mix because he was hot. And like some of these guys played were, well. Were, yeah, played well. Um, you know, you get you kind of like second or third at the Masters. Like, ah, and, you know, Zalatoris, we talked about kind of on text. But man, that guy's the caddy on Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to be <laughs> he's yeah, the caddy on Happy Gilmore. That's exactly what he looked like. But man, he's going to be I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in golf. Yeah. Man, he came out of nowhere. Uh, I'm sure Johnny's going to talk about it on his podcast, but that, yeah, that guy's, you know, in six tournaments, he's turned his world around and the, he's mm -hmm. obviously going to be at the masters next year. So fantastic. But um, uh, what was I going to say about, was it Shoffley? Um, uh, um, oh man, I can't remember what I was going to say about that. Don't you love that? I, dude, I do this during broadcasts every once in a while, or I'll do an interview on, you know, I'll have the opportunity to do MLB network or ESPN. I'll get all hyped up about it. And then I'm like, yeah. oh crap, what did he ask me? Nice. <laughs> well, it's nice to have a foil. Like we can go back and forth. Right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I thought it was good, maybe a little less prize fighty than the past, but I mean, I just thought, mm -hmm. um, you know, the nerves are just, they're crazy. And I, I Oh, I know I was going to say it was about Shoffley. Shoffley's interview at the end, 
um, with mm -hmm. uh, with um, Balonis with the gal um, was just awesome because you love we, the we had a text, these guys, man. Yeah, yeah, we had a text and we're like, oh man, you know, his caddy was his college roommate and they're really tight and they work together. You know, Spieth and his caddy get a lot of like, you know, yeah. credit. Like, hey, they stuck together through thick and thin and he won a tournament. I mean, did your caddy tell you to hit that club? He's like, no, he's like, that was me. That was all me. And I wanted to hit it. And he goes, I hit it flush. And, you know, the wind did. I mean, for a guy who basically felt like he had the tournament or was putting pressure on, it was like us on the podcast. He's like, die, you know, <laughs> smiling and just. I just thought that was refreshing too, because you can yeah. fall under the weight of, you know, we've seen the yips in many different sports, including mm -hmm. second baseman, get the yips thrown at the first or a catcher back to the pitcher. That's exactly what I was going to say. Shoffley was refreshing just as Matsuyama was refreshing in their interview afterwards. And it makes me want to watch more golf and it makes me um, pretty happy to see. I think Shoffley's going to win something big coming up. And obviously he's one of the top 15, 20 golfers in the world. So uh, but really cool how he didn't throw anybody under the bus and just, you yeah. know, just kind of shrugged off the shot that, you know, the shot heard round the, round the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's crazy about that shot and just thinking about it. Cause I, I was texting a couple other buddies that were watching the same tournament, you know uh, you know, the think uh, Matsuyama, you know, uh, netted, 2.07 million and then Zalatoris got 1.2 million and then Shoffley got 600. So, I mean, that shot, that hole cost him and his caddy 600 grand. I mean, just think about that. I mean, there's gravity on it, just the prestige of winning a tournament. And then you add the financial impact of that. You're like, oh my gosh. But golf is unique in that sense that, you know, you can't say, you can't say my defense faltered. Or, you know, if that ball takes a different balance, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it, it was me. I made, I made the choice. I made the hit. I messed up and I, I love the accountability, but I really feel like golf is one of those sports that doesn't allow you to do anything other than take complete, you know, culpability for everything you're doing out there. I mean, you can't blame the caddy every once in a while, but there's not too many shooter McGavins out there. They're just like, nice call asshole. You're fired. You know, it's like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta make the shot no matter, you know, you ultimately the club is in your hands. That's right. And I think what's good about what you just said, or what's strong about that is I think the money, the pressure, the caddy, the blame, like you said, your team of people around you, it all stems from the same mindset, which is you can't think of a 10 foot putt as a $600,000 gain or loss. And you can't think of my caddy told me to hit this club. This is mm -hmm. your team. You have to block all that stuff out and say, Hey, this is my game. Like what's the wind doing? What's the yardage? Okay. I trust this. And then if you trust it, you go for it. And that's exactly what Shoffley said. Like, I mean, I don't think he's going to lose one wink of sleep going, Oh, that was a $600,000 putt to, you know, to always go back to like, you know, Jordan got a lot of criticism when he bet, you know, 20 grand on a hole in the golf course. And I said, look, 20 grand on a hole for Jordan is like 10 bucks for me and you like, Hey, let's bet 10 bucks on this hole or 20 bucks. So it's just, yeah, you get nervous anyway, but it's really the, it's the you situation. Do. So I, I do think that mindset has to, I think that's what makes them successful as well. I mean, cause if you go back over the course of your career, could you imagine Phil Mickelson going, gosh, I lost over, 7.8 million dollars oh, just with right. my pitching wedge or something like that right if yeah, you started putting up money yeah it would just be it would be way too much pressure it would just be way too much pressure so i think the overall mindset of having your team around you and having confidence is different than thinking 
that Shoffley lost 600 grand on that shot. But, you know, I guess it, it comes, it's true, <laughs> but you can't think <laughs> like that if you want to be successful. So anyway, that I no, thought the exactly Masters right. was, I thought it was a great tournament. And, you know, I know you, uh, you enjoyed it almost like you were there, you know, making your little, uh, your oh, azalea yeah. drinks and your pimento cheese sandwiches. I don't know. Yeah. I tried to give it the illusion of as if I was actually there. Cause I do enjoy the masters. I like the intimacy of it. And I like the fact that it, it becomes more personal for whatever reason. It's so different than other tournaments where, you know, it, it's, it's a boxing match. I feel like for the other, for the other uh, majors, but when you get to the masters, you know, the music is a little bit softer. The voices are a little bit calmer, the perfection of the course. And then you get to, hear what the caddies are saying to the players and, and the interaction and the backstories like you're talking about with uh, the, you know, Xander Shoffley's college teammate is now on the bag with them. So they're kind of in this together and you create the relationship and the, you know, that, that intimate feeling between yourself and the golfer. And then you hear the story of Matsuyama, you know, first Japanese born, all of a sudden you latch on to, to the, to the idea of who this guy is and you're cheering for him. I think that's what makes the masters great. Yeah. All right, Blummer, we're kind of coming to the end here. I was going to uh, I was gonna save this for a longer thing, but it's not really a longer thing. So I, I've got a quick kind of <clears throat> what'll Tuttle say question today. So uh, what'll Tuttle say is, how come right now we're, um, they're going to meatless things, right? So they have Beyond Burger and meatless <laughs> this and stuff. But if, if, if meat is like, anti, if we're anti-meat and it's not good for you, why are they trying to make everything taste like meat? And that's the question I have for you, right? Like, it's not good for us. Like, why? Like, if soda's not good for us, you just stop drinking it. You don't try and make yes. things taste like soda. But beyond beyond burger, if you go to Burger King and you want a burger, your mouth is craving a burger. Your body is craving. You're 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 craving a burger. You go with the Beyond Burger. You're like, damn, this thing tastes just like a Whopper. Like, awesome. Like, why not just get the Whopper? So I know that's more opening up a can of worms and it's making a statement, but like, why are mm -hmm. we trying to make meatless products taste like meat? Do you have an answer, Blummer? What say you? No, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I mean, I know we're all trying to be healthier and be more fit, cut our cut calories, cut the, yeah. cut the, you know, the, 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 I mean, you're using the term meat loosely anyways in yes, saying right. Burger King and meat. In well, their yeah. burger originally. I don't eat burger King, by the way. Just thought But you're right. Why, the faux burger? Why? You're you're not. Are you eating? You're eating the faux burger for the taste. And it goes back. I, I don't know where we may have had this conversation off air because you and I are beer connoisseurs. We That's love right. beer. It, you know, coffee it's like drinking de decaffeinated coffee. Why am I drinking decaffeinated coffee? I don't drink coffee for the taste. I like the taste, but I'm drinking it to get high too. You know, and I'm drinking beer to get a buzz. You know, I'm not going to go out and drink a fake Heineken, a 0% alcohol Budweiser, because I love the taste of Budweiser. I'm drinking it because I want a buzz, man. I need to relax, brother. Yeah. yeah. Remember I, that when you remember that when you see us at St. Arnold in the, you know, hopefully this <laughs> summer, right? Like, yeah, I, when I'm, I'm drinking a double a double dry hopped yeah. IPA that's, that's right. a 9.2 ABV. That's right. Don't give me the lawnmower one. What do you got? What's up there? 9.8? Okay, yeah. yeah do, do, I don't want one. it in a tulip glass either. I don't want it in a tulip glass. I need that in the... Do you have the 20 ounce pint? Do you have the boot? <laughs> the boot. I need something where I, can, I have to use two hands to drink. That's right. How know? many beers did you have? I only had one beer, but man, I'm smashed. But, I don't know what happened. You know, I, and, 
and I say this because I don't, I have a, we can do a whole nutrition thing. I, I mean, I happen to think protein, obviously fish and lean chicken obviously is better, but meat, red meat is not as bad for you as people think. And I think the, uh, it's got a bad name. Proportional. That's, I, I bring it up because what are we doing, right? Why are we trying to make it so? Anyway, I thought that would bring a, a, a little lightheartedness. Do we have a Blum's Blast uh, to take us out positively or what? Yeah, um, I've actually got two because, and be, me being an ex-Padre, as you can see back there, it's not in the brown. We actually wore tan or sand, as they call it in our uniform. They've changed a little bit. But uh, just a shout out to Joe Musgrove, a guy who played for the yeah. Houston Astros. I got to know him as a broadcaster. Uh, phenomenal dude, local guy in San Diego. Dream was to play for the Padres. And he went out and pitched the first ever no-hitter in Padre history. And in, uh, full disclosure, the game was on the TV in the booth. And, you know, I'm, I've got one eye on the Astro game, <laughs> one eye on the TV watching Joe go out there and, and get that uh, no-hitter. So I was extremely proud of him for doing that. And uh, happy for the Padre Nation that's out there, hopefully listening to our podcast still. But uh, that was a big shout-out. And that's that nice. left coast connection that I have. Yeah, uh, you, do. you know, he, he, he's a, he's a local boy. So it was great to see him accomplish that in that uniform. And then the, the second thing in bleacher or uh, Blum's blast is mark your calendar for April 22nd, because there will not be an Astros broadcast on AT&T Sportsnet because it is a national streaming game on YouTube. And the reason I'm telling you to mark your calendar is because yours truly, Jeff Blum, will be a guest color analyst on that national broadcast that will be streamed on YouTube on April 22nd. I will be working with Matt Vaskurgeon as play-by-play and Mark Gubiza, uh, who's going to be doing the other color commentary. And I think this is a genius idea to have the Angels playing the Astros, and then you have Mark Gubiza and myself you know, speaking for both teams, I think it's a unique opportunity and I can't wait. And Viscursion, a little San Diego guy for a while. Yeah, for sure. Back to, he broadcasted all, all my games as a Padre. Yeah, right. it's yeah cool. he's a he's a SoCal guy. Good dude. Um, I like his uh, I like his take. He unfortunately, if Matt ever listens to this podcast, he reminds me too much of Brenneman. But Viscursion's a, <laughs> it's but, true. but no, just like voice and kind of like tone, not in personality or person, but uh, I love the scourge. And I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head. You got the Gubaza, who's who's actually really good in the booth as well. But oh, uh, great. the question the fans are going to have, Blummer, can we just get on YouTube and watch it for free? I believe so. I, th- I think that's the idea in, in creating interest and... You know, it's it's crazy to think where this business is moving and it's it's kind of evolving a little bit and you're starting to see it with, you know, some of these remote broadcasts, but the idea of streaming live sports, that's the that may be the next platform that the live sports moves to. And uh, it will be on YouTube and I think they're promoting it as a free game on YouTube for everybody to to uh, go watch. Well, I'll be tuning in. Tell me one last thing about that. So you talked about remote. So you're going to be in the studio. Gubaza is going to be in his studio, or is he going to be at the stadium in Vescursion? Like, how are, how are we doing this? So Vescursion, I think, is back in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gubaza is going to be in uh, Anaheim. And then I am actually going to be on site in Minute Maid Park calling that game because the game will be played at Minute Maid Park. So I will be at Minute Maid ah. Park. Gubaza will be in Anaheim. And then across the coast, uh, Matt Veskirchen will be back in uh, New Jersey. Nice. All right. Now, and TK is just going to have who are they going to have a fill in? Yeah, color TK, for TK you and on? Julia have the night off. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. So, so you're how, be so in the how booth this thing essentially by yourself? 
Yeah, the, the, the way this thing kind of came about is, uh, you know, I had to get permission from the Houston Astros to to do this game, but they requested me. And uh, fortunately, the Astros allowed me the opportunity to go do this because obviously there's going to be conflict if you're working for a different network. Yeah. But, uh, you know, luckily my contract allows me to, the, to have the opportunity to work outside of uh, the Astros when I am able to, and it doesn't conflict gotcha. with my my Astros schedule. So them not being on AT&T allows me to work for this uh, MLB network game. Awesome. Well, Blummer, that's a lot of good information. I'm stoked. I'm tuning in. Uh, I wanted to say one last thing about uh, Musgrove. So I don't know if you saw it, but Grossmont Mm -hmm. High School, I believe he attended is putting a mural of him. They started painting the mural like right away. So Grossmont High School is here. and, And I think it's really amazing how sports does all these great things just to follow up on that point, because I'm a left coaster. Um, but the, uh, but it's, it's amazing just how quickly that'll happen. But, you know, the Padres every year, they would get close to a no hitter and they're like, ah, oh, you know, just because oh, I'm a NorCal guy, but living in Southern California is something that comes up every year. Somebody goes seven innings of no hit ball. And it's like, who's going to be the first, but just to mm-hmm. have like a native son from San Diego be the first after, you know, kind of the last franchise in the history of baseball to ever have a no hitter. <laughs> it's just like, you can't write this stuff down, man. They could make a 30 for 30 on it and be like, you know, you could cry at the end. I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. And I'm sure Joe will carry that around. I mean, it's something, uh, you know, similar to, you know, Dallas Braden throwing a no hitter on mother's day with Oakland. Like they're, they're just mm-hmm. certain, there's just certain things that like, you know, I mean, he wasn't even in the big leagues that long. It's like, there's just certain I things know. that you can't write the story and it happens. And you're like, damn, I, I, I remember where I was when that happened. And I'll always remember that story. So fantastic blast. Um, hopefully that leads us into closing out this podcast. Like we always do thanking first responders um, and frontline workers. And I mean, we're looking at herd immunity vaccines now, hopefully, uh, less than the fluid situation in major league baseball just as a general society we get this thing under uh, under wraps sooner than later i mentioned at the outset that uh june 15th we're looking to open up normally and i guess normally in california means we're going to function normally but wear masks out in public probably but uh you know it is big news so again shout out to first responders military frontline workers we are um you know indebted to you and ultimately respect everything that you're doing for us and uh you know thank you and uh, Blummer, why don't you take us out? Yeah, with that being said, we appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate the mailbag. We appreciate appreciate our sponsors, Ram Shirts, and uh, Just Geek It Solutions. We're out of here. We want you to get after it and believe it. Mm-hmm.